Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Treehouse, episode 44. What's at the deal? With Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Good morning, everybody. A tremendous good morning to you, Louise. And here we go again. Another two hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. As usual, there is much to discuss, but it's a beautiful morning. The snails on the thorn, the lark on the wing, and in some distant field, a gardener is playing a harmonica. Everything's for the best in this best of all possible worlds. So, Peps, um, I'm going to go straight at you now. Oh, what are we doing today? Oh, <laughs> Hang on. I knew it. <laughs> I saw you resting your chin on your hand, and I thought I, uh, I'm going to put a depth charge under that co-host. Well, I had uh, at least a few Amazon reviews. And oh no, I've got, I've got plenty. I've got plenty to. I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you what it is. Uh, I looked on my usual, as you know, the first five minutes of this show are, are some people's favourites. Not many, but some people look forward to uh, the uh, rather odd roundup of On This Day uh, because it's not like other programmes. But I looked at them today, it's thin. It oh. was thin. I'll tell you, it was very thin. It was a. Uh, did I write them down? Yes, I think I did. Wait a minute. Here we go. Hold on. Hold on, everyone. Here we go. I wrote down some of the things and then just. Uh, oh. No, oh no, that's not it. Hold on one second. If uh, you can't polish up a bit of gold uh, from them, it must be thin. No, it was no, it, it was all the accord of so and so was in 1856, and uh, America concluded its uh, the, the, the trade deals with Mexico. And I was looking down it. Uh, there was a couple. Uh, I think uh, Madame Bechamel, who gave us the sauce. Oh. Uh, for it which was, we thank. Uh, we got married today, but I was—I just couldn't get going on it until boom, bang, there it was. Snagglepuss uh, was first broadcast on this day in 1959. Now, uh, way before your time, Pepper, mm. but are you aware of Snagglepuss? I have heard of Snagglepuss. I believe I might <laughs> have seen a picture with a very ragged, ratty-looking thing. A little ragged and ratty. I think I'll have you know that Snagglepuss is actually a pink um, cougar. No, no, there you go. If you will, uh, uh, and only ever wore a large white collar and a boot lace tie, but later was given cuffs. And um, uh, a lot of a Hanna Barbera. Cartoon. Who was I thinking of? I was thinking of a real animated thing. It is an animated. Oh no, no, sorry, I mean like an animatronic. Oh no, no, a, a Snagglepuss had a tremendous voice. A tremendous voice. It was a, a very. Was he the one that was a bit like the Pink Panther? I think you'll find it's the other way around. I think you'll find <laughs> that that is like saying, uh, you know, a Roxy music, a bit like Queen. Uh, no, he he was the original, and he had some tremendous uh, catchphrases. Um, in fact, if you go, we'll start the show any second now, everyone. But if you go, as I do to Wikipedia, and look up things like Snagglepuss, the, the gravitas that's brought to it, it's not, it must, whoever's writing it is a genius because it is done completely. Uh, here we go. Uh, so Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss has three signature catchphrases. His most famous is the perpetual exclamation, heavens and Murgatroyd, Betsy even. <laughs> he used to put the word even at the end of things a lot. Uh, Snagglepuss tends to put the word even for emphasis at the ends of his sentences, uh, emphasizing a previous statement. Somebody got hurt in dire pain, even. <laughs> you see, if it weren't first-generation Snagglepuss, this won't mean anything, but it's never stopped us before. Sometimes after stating a synonymous phrase. On account of this, I must be a little rusty. Stale, even. 
<laughs> he used to restate what he had just said. It's grammatically correct, although the order of the sentence, I wonder if she knows my telephone number even, would sometimes great. Simply added as an exclamation, heaven to Murgatroyd, a, a, a veritable Franken-mouse monster even. And it carries on and on, giving us far too much detail about uh, uh, Snagglepuss. Uh, but Snagglepuss jumped out of uh, Yogi Bear. Oh, okay, right, right, yeah. now I'm with you. <laughs> so you, you, had, you should have gone straight to the menu. And once you get into Yogi Bear, then, because Yogi Bear, as a kid, mm-hmm. picnic basket, boo-boo. <laughs> and we'll get down to the heavy news in a minute. Uh, so uh, Yogi Bear, um, when I was a kid, I, I, I had no idea what the name Yogi Bear meant, did you? Well, am I supposed to? Yeah, but well, in America, it was a big gag because one of the most famous baseball players in America was called Yogi Berra. That was his name. Oh, oh I, gosh. I know. Okay. Right. I found that only about 10, 15 years ago. Yogi Berra was a household name in America. Uh, so, we, like having a Fred Perry, Fred Berry, Berry or something. Yeah, like that. Exactly, yeah. Well, exactly that. Yes, exactly yeah. that. And he tried to sue at first for defamation until he found out everyone loved Yogi Berra. Uh, but again, you go to Wikipedia. Uh, and yes, we could have looked at the treaties of Mexico and America being signed in 1826, but you go to Wikipedia and look up Yogi Bear, and there is plenty there. Uh, again, always done with a straight face. Um, the plot of most Yogi Bear cartoons centers on, centers on its antics at the fictional Jellystone Park, a variation of the real Yellowstone Park. I was about 20 when I realized that. Exactly, me too. Yogi, accompanied by his constant companion, Boo Boo, would often try to steal picnic baskets from campers in the park, much to the displeasure of Park Ranger Smith. Now, I don't remember him being called Smith, but there you go. It says, uh, besides speaking in rhyme, Yogi Bear had a number of catchphrases, including his pet name for picnic baskets, picnic baskets, his favourite self-promotion, I am smarter than the average bear, although this often overstates his own cleverness. (laughs) One last bit. Another characteristic of Yogi was his deep, fluctuating voice. He often greets the ranger with a cordial, hello, Mr. Ranger, sir, and hey there, (laughs) boo-boo. (laughs) <laughs> which is his preferred greeting to his sidekick. Yogi would often use puns in his speech and had a habit of pronouncing large words with a long vocal flourish. Now, here's the bit I thought, what? Yogi's girlfriend, Cindy Bear, sometimes appeared and usually disapproved of Yogi's antics. I don't remember Cindy Bear, do you, perhaps? I don't remember him speaking in rhyme either, so I obviously didn't know. pay any attention at all. He's uh, and gone. A- and as we mentioned earlier, the, um, uh, uh, the, the Snagglepuss just wore a large white collar with a bootlace tie and uh, uh, then was given cuffs much later in the series. But uh, Yogi, of course, had a, a, a green straw hat, a mm-hmm. collar and a tie. Uh, most Hanna-Barbera cartoons were given these uh, accoutrements, Pixie and Dixie, you know, uh, I think Pixie Your was face. the... Oh, yeah, Pixie and Dixie. Pixie the bow tie. Dixie the waistcoat. Uh, and Mr. Jinx, so you won't know that, Mr. Jinx. No. I hate those Mises to pieces. That was Mr. Jinx. Ah. And you came in with a hair bear bunch, which is, you know, like discovering pop music around the time of Blue Mercedes. It was all <laughs> before that. It was all before it. And now, Peps, what are we doing today? Number one. Monsters and illnesses your parents made up. Mm-hmm. Number two, don't talk to me about fruit. Number three, not being believed. Number four, why buy a baby that? (laughs) Number five, your best and worst dreams be succinct. Thank you very much. And also we have additions to the song that uh, came to me in a dream, in a reverie. We've had some additions to that and uh, so you can all look forward to that. But give us something from over there, Peps. Well, this is actually um, being killed by a coconut, which... uh, You covered on the uh, last one about... But we're opening with a death story? No, 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 no. It's a survival it's a bit Norwegian story, black worry. metal, isn't it? OK, but to continue. Phil tries to squeeze yes, them Yes, our in. producer does try to get as many uh, terrible injury and death stories into the show, but we are good gatekeepers. Continue, Peps. I refer to your topic being killed by a coconut. My very good friend, Hugh Stephen Bobbin, was taking a brief holiday in Mombasa. Just to help you appreciate the type of man Hugh is, if you recollect the episode in Fools and Horses where Del Boy is in Miami and as he is attempted to be shot, bends down and the bullet goes through the back of the chair, this could be Hugh Stephen Bobbin. Anyway, one day at the hotel in Mombasa, he took a stroll in the lush grounds and as he walked through reception, a staff member urged him to be cautious as the coconuts were ripe and to look out for them 
if in the vicinity of aforementioned coconut tree. He treated this advice with due diligence to the extent that whilst looking up, he felt an excruciating pain in his ankle. As he looked down, he saw the latter half of a green snake disappearing into the undergrowth. He had the composure to stand still and shout for help, and on, upon explaining to the ground staff what had occurred and the description of the snake, he was carried upright through reception and placed <laughs> mostly upright in a taxi. The hospital in Mombasa is, by his description, quite close to the hotel, and by the time he reached it, he was in a coma. Two days later, he was informed upon regaining consciousness that the antiserum had been administrated and he would survive. He had been bitten by a green mamba snake, and of the last 100 people bitten, only 12 survived. No! It was only his close proximity to the hospital and the serum that his life was saved. And thus, how Hugh Stephen Bobbin, a nicer man you could not wish to meet, was almost killed by a coconut. How about that? Man, I didn't know you were supposed to stand dead still after you're bitten. No! Or upright! He was bitten by a... A a, a A green mamba. A mamba in Mombasa? Yes! (laughs) In um, Bermondsey, when I was growing up, down by the railway arches was a very snubby little street where mainly there were breakers yards down it and nefarious goods going on. It was less than 100 yards along the street, but uh, it was always cars up on bricks down there and uh, whatever the arches did and foul noxious gases coming out of them. And that, perhaps, was named Mombasa Street. Oh, and how I, fancy. There was, there was huge gap between the wonder and the exotic <laughs> name of the street and the actual thing that went on down there. It's still there, Mombasa Street. Remember Said to me, Mum, what's Bombassa? Oh, it's wonderful. Sat there near Hawaii. <laughs> it may be. I say that Roughly. about me, Mum. I couldn't put my finger on a map and say, <laughs> there's Mombasa. Uh, this is um, made up monsters. Uh, we asked her for made up monsters and ailments the screaming abdabs, the collie wobbles, uh, and any other monsters that perhaps unique to your family. And this is from uh, uh, Johnny in New York. <laughs> After all these years, I still. Still impressed. Uh, I still defer to any coming in from around the world. It says, in the 60s, my dad would take my family, my mum, my two sisters and, sisters and me, on driving holidays in Europe. One year, our destination was Holland. There seemed to be a lot of roadworks as we drove through the country, often with large signs warning of Tegelniggers. This, I discovered later in life, meant oncoming traffic. But my dad at the time told us that Tegenliggers were dangerous Dutch monsters. But not to worry, because he had brought along some Tegenligger guns. These turned out to be drinking straws. And as long as we blew vigorously through our straws every time we saw the Tegenligger sign, our family would be safe. We never did see a Tegenligger. Those guns must have really worked. That's from Johnny <laughs> in New York. Oh, <laughs> well done, Dad. That's that a parenting be- goals. That is, isn't that beautiful? Any of those you got, please? Oh. Something else, perhaps. This is from. Uh, ooh, where's his name gone? Peter. I've lost. Oh, there he is, Pete. <laughs> Listening to the podcast, you had a couple of stories. One about sledging on top of another human, mm. and another about having a video recorder stolen. And I have experienced both those things during the same event. Oh. 15 years ago, I was a police officer in one of Scotland's larger cities and had been patrolling a particular area. And it had been, we had had torrential rain for most of the day. I was on the verge of finishing up when the radio crackled into life and a member of the public had reported someone wearing a blue jacket and carrying a rucksack who was breaking into a flat. I was only a few streets away, so thought I would explore slightly further afield to see if I could find the culprit as they made good their escape. As the rain stopped and the sun came out and I passed a park, I spotted some street drinkers on a bench talking to someone in a blue jacket with a rucksack over their shoulder. Parking the car and using trees to hide my presence, I advanced on the target, looking like a particularly rubbish ninja as I tiptoed tree to tree. As I approached their side, wholly undetected, I realised I knew the young man with the rucksack, and at this point in his life, he'd become particularly adept at redistributing other people's wealth. And we had met in professional company. When I asked what was in the very heavy rucksack, he offered to show me, but as he took it off his shoulder, launched it full at my face before making off down a grassy hill. Oh, and they knew each other. Like a flash, I took off after him, quickly realising the ground was soft and very slippy, but by now I was committed. Realising I was only going to get one chance at catching this lad, I launched myself towards him. 
As I made contact, his legs collapsed like a pricked bladder, and I found myself sledging down a muddy hill on the back of another human. <laughs> the journey only ended at the bottom of the hill, by which time my poor lift was uninjured, but caked head to toe in thick mud and wet grass. Heading back to the path with my arrest, roundly laughed at by all and sundry, I was frankly shocked to see that the drinkers had stood guard over the rucksack, which, upon further investigation, did indeed contain a DVD player and other electrical items stolen. OK, so it's not quite a video recorder, but it's still combined theft from a house with sledging on a human. That is superb. Thank you very much for knitting those two together. Uh, the, the old, uh, as he says, street drinkers there. Mm. Um, uh, little, little, little several gangs. Waterloo used to be quite a, a, a meeting place for it. In fact, there was a documentary in the late 70s, early 80s called, rather um, um, uh, brutal, it was called Methers. Uh, oh, it was called Methers, and the camera crew followed them around, which strikes in our modern sensibility as incredibly voyeuristic. But it did, um, and, and I recognised seven or eight of them, because I, I, I used to always be going through Waterloo for nearly a decade. And uh, I thought, oh, there's old Pete, but it turns out, of course, the only thing we know for sure about Pete is his name, not Pete. Uh, <laughs> and there was a, a tremendous singer who did give us some on the sing and every time I used to pass um, the singer he would raise the uh, very violet bottle of meths which was you know I don't think people drink meths so much anymore no I think meth has <laughs> a whole other meaning now is it, 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 it oh, oh yes of course yeah, mm, I've never seen yeah. Breaking Bad but I understand but, uh, <laughs> but meths um, was very much the absence uh, of the of the lower classes and uh, he used to raise it to me in that telltale bottle and, and go to me this is the only truth Always, every single time. This is the only truth. Now, that that's almost Tom Waitsian. So, anyway, uh, I cannot remember quite why we got into that, but the fellow mentioned... Uh, uh, street, street drinkers. Drinker. Oh, you did. This is um, uh, just a very brief one from Pete in Gloucester. And I like this. This is... Uh, and we asked it to be succinct. Uh, tell us your best and worst dreams. I almost never dream, says Pete. My wife dreams every night. One day she told me she had dreamt of me again and told me she believes you dream of people who are important to you. That's why I turned up so much. Well, that very night, I dreamt a Venezuelan dictator, Hugo Chavez. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> <laughs> there is that theory. Did you ever have one of them books, Peps, that um, uh, explains dreams? Oh, uh, no, it, no. Oh, I have... Once again, I'm not delving. No, I, because it's all hooey. It tell me it'll mean the death of someone or couldn't. No, count. no, it doesn't. It says if you, I used to, it was like an A to Z. It was quite a thick book. My sister had it. She went through a phase of that, and uh, I used to look at it, and it would say owls. If you dream of owls, they would, it would tell you everything that might be in your dream. And of course, after that, if you dream of owls, it usually means you have misplaced something. Usually a shirt. And I think, oh, okay, I haven't dreamt of owls, but I'll look out for that. <laughs> It literally, it was a, a 1950s book, just uh, the uh, Dreams Explained, it was called. It's terrific. But absolutely, they said uh, in the in the publishing office, Ralph, you finished that Dreams book. I didn't know I was supposed to do it. It's yours, Ralph. He's got already done by five o'clock. Owls can't find shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Peas probably means um, you like football. I don't know. <laughs> it was the most, as the teenagers say, random thing. Hey, listen to this. <laughs> listen to this for a quote, Peps. Mm. Uh, you know Carl Sagan, right? Uh, Carl Sagan. Of him, yes. Yeah, um, uh, it, it, one of the most soothing voices that was ever in broadcasting. Uh, he would, it, it, unlike myself and various others, he wouldn't run through a sentence. He would absolutely pour over every word and out in the space of the cosmos. And you, it just brought you right in. And he, I just read this quote from him the other day. It said, uh, people, uh, people these days, they say, are not reading any, anymore. But one glance at a book and you hear the voice of another person, someone perhaps dead for 1,000 years. To read is to voyage through time. Oh, 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 oh. plenty of spin on the ball there, wasn't it? Plenty. Yeah, you're talking. He did a program once um, uh, uh, where he confronted, uh, what was it? Uh, Eric Von Daniken, right? Eric Von Daniken had a row. Oh, Eric, oh, sure, don't make that face, perhaps. Von Daniken, huge for a while, chariot of the gods he made his money out of. Which, oh, uh, okay. For all those people who like to think that we are 
we are stardust, we are gold, and we are descended from spacemen. Right. And uh, these various evidence he gave, you know, absolute, uh, made a fortune out of it. But what a what a charlatan, to be fair. And uh, he said, you know, the Nazgar Desert in uh, in Peru, I believe, where they have the lines in the desert that um that can't be explained. They're gone for hundreds of miles. Oh yes, times. yes, yes. And from the air. They can be seen as forming uh, a monkey and a bee and things like this, you know. And von Daniken said, "How could they do this? How could they do this there uh, without guidance from above?" Uh, in fact, what these are are runways for ancient craft. Ooh. A very powerful argument. <laughs> as a kid, you sit there. Well, when the horizon it was, they gave dear old Carl Sagan full reign on it, and. Uh, he said, yeah, I've heard that. He said, but he never says there is mountain ranges all around where you can do it. And people, they were brilliant mathematicians. People like to think they were just like cavemen. They weren't. This was their calendar. A bee, a monkey, all of this, this spider. They knew exactly what they were doing. He said, but you don't even need that. Runways? Runways for intergalactic craft? What, what are they flying there? B-52s? Spitfires? <laughs> you need a runway to come in on? <laughs> It was such a brilliant, uh, such a brilliant dissection of it. Give us something over there, Bebs. Well, this is from, um, well, he just put David, but because I can nosy at his email address. David's surname is Izod. Izod, It's an amazing surname, Izod. Listen, for a long time, if Thanks. people had looked at my email address and thought that's that's the name, Margaret Rutherford. <laughs> I used to be Margaret True. Rutherford at the BBC. But we did used to get quite a groundswell of people saying, Dear Margaret. <laughs> we did. Can you pass this on to Danny? Oh, no, could you <laughs> via Alistair. It was anyway. her birthday yesterday, I think. It was in the week. Yes, it was. Yes. The great woman's birthday. And there's a life. There is a life. So um, what do you got, Pips? Well, this is about dreams again. He says, I'll keep this brief-ish because you said there's now so dull as others, but there's enough heft in this to catch your attention. We might need um, the ooh music. Um, a couple of years after my first marriage broke up, I realised I was having the same dream every week. Essentially, I was back in an old room I had once long ago lived in, but I had paid no rent on it for months or years. Every time the same theory. Well, the room looked a bit different, some looked a bit different. The thrust of it was, why am I still here if I haven't paid rent? Why does my key work? Why is my stuff here? Etc. Etc. I don't belong here, and yet I have the key. I should say at this point that the fact my first marriage broke up was entirely my fault and I carried a huge amount of guilt about it. Mm. However, in 2009, I remarried and due course had my first child. And I came to realise after a while that I'd stopped having what I'd come to describe as my dream. Then, on my daughter's first birthday, I went to, went to bed, drifted off, and here I was, approaching the door of the building, and here was the room I used to live in. Here we go, I thought. It's been a while. I'll put the key in the door, go in, etc., etc. This time, my key didn't work. I couldn't get in. I looked down and at my feet, a couple of suitcases and attached to the cases, a tag in the handwriting of my first wife. You don't need to come here anymore. No. My daughter is nine and I have never had the dream again. Isn't that beautiful? David! Isn't that the fourth dimension closure? Hmm? Did, did I say the uh, um, dream that I, I most want, uh, wanted to get back inside? Because I, I, I sometimes used to do that. Don't do it anymore. Oh, I'm dreaming. And it was the oh. moment I said that because I, I told you I, I jumped inside one of uh, Bert uh, from Mary Poppins' street paintings. In the, and I was, I was in that land, that beautiful land where, you know, she sings It's a Jolly Holiday. And I thought, I'm having a dream, but I want it to continue. And the more I've said that, the less energy. Oh, you can away. never go back into no, it. No, I did that. No, I should no, never no. acknowledge that. By the way, what, who was the, what was his name? Is It wasn't his old, was it? He's odd. He's odd. I-Z-O-D, like a, like a made-up sort of wizard of some sort. Because uh, Eddie is odd. Uh, and I knew a, a, a director called Izzard as well at um, uh, London Weekend Television. Do you know what Izzard means? How about that? Do you know what Izzard? Is and I can't recall at all. It's the letter Z. The real name of the letter Z is an Izzard. I don't know why oh. the has to have another name, but it does. Izzard is the proper name for the letter Z. Oh, I'm start that. using that. It is. So uh, no, we're going to take a little break there now, but uh, normally... On, on a weekend, we come back with the Golden Shot um, uh, vinyl game. But that's all over now. 
if you don't know why, listen to two shows ago where uh, I, I like our correspondent being bitten by the Mombasa Mambo. Uh, or was he dancing the Mombasa Mambo? I can't remember. But uh, rather like our correspondent, I nearly died <laughs> in the service of my duty. So uh, it's not coming back. It's a great, great shame, I know. We had still had 10,700 and something records to get through, but it's not coming back. Uh, for those of you who are concerned, yes, I'm fine now. I may have to do another year. What about me? I had to watch. You only, yeah, but you only, yeah, you did actually. You, you saw the, the visuals of my big old gut hanging in front of the built-in camera here. Didn't realise that. Hanging in front of the camera while I was grunting and groaning away. But that's that. It's a nice game, but until we can get a proper venue for it, like football, it is suspended. Now, uh, <laughs> We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll give you the latest lyrics. And thank you very much indeed for the I Live in the 70s song. Got an incredible uh, uh, email about a, a well-known personality germane to this show and, and, and stacks of others. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Jay Rayner and I host the Out to Lunch podcast where I take fabulous guests out for lunch and grill them to a turn. For now, whilst lockdown reigns supreme, we're staying in for lunch instead and we've got great company. Fascinating people share only the best takeaways with me over webcam. Great food and insightful conversation with the likes of Gary Neville, Sharon Horgan, George Ezra and Dieter Von Tees. If you, have you ever had a cream pie in the face? No! So if you, like me, enjoy food and are missing restaurants, subscribe to Out to Lunch with Jay Rayner, available wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, everybody. It's the Danny Baker Show, radiating out across the airwaves. Come the sunshine or the rain, come aboard the Danny train. We'll kick our slippers off and throw our cares away. What better thing to do than have a jolly jape or two? Don't touch that dial, there's nowhere else to go. Come and join a happy session, wave ta-ta to the recession on the Danny Baker Show. Take it away, Danny. And we're back, and uh, I've got to tell you, not that we weren't hanging on every good word of the, the fantastic products you've been hearing about, but uh, uh, Peps uh, revealed she got um, Snagglepuss confused with, who was it, Peps? Hartley Hare. Hartley Hare. Thinking. Can you imagine such a travesty? When I was going on about ratty, horrible-looking, creepy dolls. It's, it's like saying, That's what was that group? John Lennon and the Pacemakers. <laughs> the, 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 the gap there is huge. Getting Pipkins mixed up with the great Heavens to Murgatroyd. By the way, Murgatroyd hmm. uh, only strikes me now. Heavens to Murgatroyd. I believe Murgatroyd is mentioned in a Shakespeare play, but them writers of the Hanna-Barbera cartoons had a lot of fun, didn't they? Heavens to Murgatroyd. Apparently that's a a quote from Shakespeare, but you're sitting at six years old watching it. Anyway, uh, welcome back, everyone. Now, don't all panic. Uh, but that song I came up with in the shower on the last show. Uh, yes, I only just got it out of my head. It's uh, it's it's, it's underpowered. Catchy. It is intentionally sung in a, in a very limp, um, not even Leonard Cohen way. It's sung in this kind of uh, uh, indifferent way, and I know it is, and I know it may not be everyone's C of T, but. Uh, yeah, I'm stuck with it. it. It went like this. I'll only sing a, uh, just a bit of it. I live in the 70s with Amber... Oh, now I can't even remember. Oh. I live in the 70s with lots of Mark Bolans and Brian Ferries. I live in the 70s. Viva 71. And anyway, we've got up to 1973. Uh, a lot of people now looking around at the device going, uh, where, <laughs> where did the show go? But uh, thankfully, a lot of people got in touch. Let me put it the other way. A couple of people got in touch <laughs> and said, I can put more flesh on those bones. Oh, so yes. Firstly, and this is brilliant from Phil. Phil got in touch and added these verses. Now, even if you don't care for the song, uh, which somebody, has, of course, has set to music, and we'll bring you that next week. Even if you don't care for for this, um, and it is, yes, it's sea shanty-esque. I know that. But this is what Phil has brought us, uh, because I ran out of, I think I did uh, lots of Abra and lots of cheese, uh, lots of um, Bowie and Brian Ferries, and uh, there was another one I, I did. Uh, and anyway, he's picked up, he's picked up the uh, baton here, and thank you very much, Phil. So this song is now well on its way to being a, an opus. Here we go. Uh, this is Phil bringing us this. Don't don't fast forward. It only takes a minute. Here we go. 
I live in the 70s when I heard the four seasons and three degrees. I live in the 70s, Viva 74. I live in the 70s with Elvis Costello and the police. I live in the 70s, Viva 75. I live in the 70s, the Isley Braith, the Rathers sang Summer Breeze. I live in the 70s, Viva 76. Now, I'm sorry I hiccuped there, but I was so proud of his rhyming, the Isley Brothers sang Summer Breeze. <laughs> yes. And just one more, David gets in touch, uh, and David says, I live in the 70s, Steve Jones and Rotten's... Of oh, I'm sorry, I did it wrong. Here we go. I live in the 70s, Steve Jones and Rotten's Obscenities. No, that don't work, does it? Just Steve Jones and Leiden Obscenities. No, it don't. Uh, Steve, uh, let me know. Steve Jones and <laughs> Steve Jones and Leiden Obscenities. That's it. Thank you, Peps. Here we go. I live in the 70s, Steve Jones and Leiden's Obscenities. I live in the 70s, Viva 76. This is a terrific song. <laughs> A terrific song, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, a little rehearsal. Perhaps wouldn't have had to come to my aid there, but that's fine. It's like when Bowie used to lean on Mick Ronson's shoulder. That was all good. <laughs> uh, so uh, that, that that's the song as it stands. And all we've got to do now is 77, 78, 79, and we may have a little twist as an 80s thing at the end. But that's where the song lies at the moment. What you got there, Peps? Uh, what I've got here is a, is a laptop that's saying it's low on power and I've got to plug it in. There we go. Okay. Um, uh, no, <laughs> that I, I could hope. have been dramatic because I, I disappeared mid-song. I, I, I hope that everything we've done in this half so far remains because it will give some idea Leave it all in there, uh, Phil Wilding, producer, because it gives some idea of the tidy-up job he has to do every <laughs> single week. That's the show raw in uh, red in tooth and claw. Uh, give us something, Peps. This is from uh, Muskie. This is uh, What Have You Slept Through? Mm-hmm. I managed to invite myself on a basketball tour to Holland. But, oh, Holland again. Back in the 80s. My mate, a very good player, was a regular team member for Hull University and got me on the tour. I was and still am pretty rubbish, but they let me on court for a few minutes. All the students slept in sleeping bags in the gym. The first night was get to know the other teams from around Europe, i.e. drinking many beers. And as the night drew to a close, the Hull University team decided the centre circle of court one was where we would bed down. Not a great night's sleep was had, but not bad. Night two was slightly different. The tournament winners would be determined the following day. So from around 10 o'clock onwards, the keener players started sloping off. The good news was that meant, A, the queue at the bar was minimal, and B, as someone unlikely to play the following day, I could drink even more frothy beer than the previous night. And I represented Hull University at beer drinking. The evening drew to a close, and being worse for wear, I wobbled off to the centre circle of court one once again to bed down. Too late and drunk to find out where everyone else was, I took pole position. Next morning, I was rudely awakened by my best mate gently kicking me whilst taking photos and laughing. It's worth mentioning at this point, I had no hearing in my left ear, which is why I hadn't heard two teams warming up at either end of the court for 20 minutes or heard the man sweeping the court 10 feet away. Sadly for me, this particular court was also overlooked by a balcony, packed now with spectators eagerly awaiting the first game, and I had to get off court. Having just awoken and not being quite together and not ready to step out of my sleeping bag, I caterpillared across the court in Um. my sleeping bag (laughs) to a polite ripple of applause. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> that reminds me of the old gag. Um, I can't remember who used to do this. Possibly Mike and Bernie. Uh, he says his grandfather was killed at Custer's last stand. He said, it was, it was, my, my granddad got killed at uh, Battle of Ball Run or whatever it was. He said, did he? He said, yeah. He said, was he a soldier? He said, no, he was He was camping in the field next door. He was asleep and got up to complain about the noise. <laughs> it's almost on a par. So this is from a few weeks back. 
um, this is, um, uh, I think, uh, whatever this was, it was uh, mangling sentences or something. Uh, so this is from our good correspondent, Steve. I met my now wife in the early 90s, and after a few weeks courting, as they used to say, that they finally came to unveil me to her unsuspecting family. There's plenty in there, actually. <laughs> uh, meet the parents. Her parents were fantastic, and emboldened by my success, I readily agreed to join my beloved on a visit to her nan and granddad. It wasn't too long a drive, just up the A6 to Barton the Clay from Luton. <laughs> Introductions complete, the telly was put on, albeit a bit loud. You know how the mature like to ask the question and then do whatever they were going to do anyway. Are you too cold, they say, as they crank up the heat at a furnace level anyway? <laughs> He's enjoying this. Anyway, after the news just started, and it was that day, that it was then that the day became a bit weird. It was clear that the newscaster was not popular in the family. The poor man trying to read the news was ripped to pieces with criticisms of his clothes, his haircut, his speech, anything really, including his very existence. Finally, my wife's nan delivered the coup de grace. Look at him. Look at him. He thinks he's body every self. I was confused. Had I heard that wrong? He's body every self. I perhaps suspected a different family customs and traditions, but their own language, he's every body self. I was then asked if I agreed, and partly driven by solidarity from my wife and partly by fear, solemnly, I did agree. Yeah, he does. He, he thinks he's everybody's self. 30 years later, with two children, both in their 20s, when we look at the TV and see something perhaps over someone, perhaps overly preening, simpering or just generally annoying, everyone takes up the cry, look at him. He thinks he's everybody's self. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Steve. That, yeah, his, his phrase is unique to your family. My old man. Um, oh, of course, you know, Gogglebox has just harnessed what everyone did. Shared oh, at the telly for yeah. years, you know. Shared at the telly for years. Uh, uh, he uh, didn't particularly like Ernie Wise. I'll tell you, no, I didn't like my wife's full stop, to be absolutely honest. Gosh. Like the idea of one, apparently, did. Nah, I don't know. Like, Soppy, daft, he used to say. But he did say, but they wear beautiful suits. I'll say that for him. They were beautiful suits. <laughs> and even in their classic, you know, at the end of program uh, banter, is to say, lovely suits. It's the only thing going for him then, so lovely suits, right? But his real uh, anger was held for the newscaster, Kenneth Kendall. It, whatever Kenneth Kendall was bringing us to Kenneth my old man was like oh, him oh, at him oh, at him what you say it like that for oh we have the, and now the news on BBC One read by Kenneth Kendall oh leave I'll put it turn it over put on the ITA as he called ITV put on the ITA Kenneth Kendall now irrational dislikes of, of, of celebrities would, would certainly entertain but the, my, my old man could not bear the newscaster Kenneth Kendall now, say quick if you got it there perhaps uh, this is from Jez. It says, you may recall in an early, some may say, seminal edition of the show, you made the bold assertion that ice hockey was the sole user of the terms rink and puck. Yeah. Hard to disagree until now. Mm-hmm. Preparing dinner on Saturday, I was for once and inexplicably reading the instructions on frozen spinach. Time stood still as I, my eyes fell upon the unforgettable instruction to count out the required number of spinach pucks. No. Pucks of spinach? Yes. Really? I Thereby bring so. into the conclusion a mystery. I suppose so. I suppose. Well, they are. They are those hard little nuggets of of of. Maybe maybe some of frozen Yorkshire puddings, but nobody ever says the Yorkshire puck, do they? <laughs> uh, but, but, but thank you very much indeed. Very diligent of our listeners. Uh, this. Is a, well, this, perhaps, I think okay. we can all plump up a cushion because uh, uh, this is a beautifully written, uh, I- interesting meeting with uh, a, a long-time uh, saint of this show. Oh. So, here we go. This is, a, a, a forgive me, because I, I didn't know, usually for my eyesight these days, make these about, you know, Scylla-Vision. Do you know what Scylla-Vision is? No. Scylla-Vision. Scylla-Black, well, when I was at um, uh, ITV for years and years at London Weekend, used to have her own font on the auto queue. Now, um, everyone's auto cue is usually about an inch high mm-hmm. as it rolls up. But Scylla couldn't even see that. So terrible was her eyesight. So they invented a brand new font. It was each word, each letter would be over two inches, two and a half inches high. And that was only for her. And it was called Scylla Vision. Wow. 
Wow. And it, it did, yeah. And anyone needed, because um, you could have it smaller, so it looked larger than that. And they said, not Silivision, I hope, but Silivision is an actual well, inside... give her credit then, because she could only have had two words on there at a time. Yeah, it's very difficult, but she did. Silivision, she uh, used to work in. Now, I haven't got this in Silivision, but I'll get through it as best I can. Uh, and this is been sent to us from Big Paul. You'll like this, everyone. This is There's plenty in this. As a molly-coddled teenager, I never had to bother with paper rounds or Saturday jobs. Before we go any further, Saturday job, Pep, you had a Saturday job? Yes, boots at Lakeside. Did you? Photographic department, yeah. On a Did Saturday. you? I, I started when they started Sunday trading because it was time and a half and fewer hours. And, and, but but, but the, you're like a tail gunner there. The people who came and said, are my photos back? Uh, and you had to be the one to tell them no. Best job in the world. No, oh, really? no, it's brilliant. Because also what you really did was was the bloke in the lab, Nick, used to go, there's a brilliant top picture. So he'd put the really embarrassing picture top Please. so that you would open oh, the packet yeah. and say, are these yours? Oh, and, a, and a very no. well-to-do couple would be there with a picture <laughs> on the beach or something on their holiday. Oh or, or a nudie shot, you know, from a lad's well, See, that's where I'm afraid. That's, that's where my mm. mind went when you said an embarrassment. What people do? How could you possibly? Oh, lad's holidays. Good grief, boys. Oh, I know. Take cameras out of, of your trousers. Good nice. oh, You're right there. There was a lot of that went on. Naive of me. And you weren't responsible for putting on those little oval stickers saying this one didn't come out. No, I, sadly, I, they I, did that in the actual lab, which was behind us. Oh, I um, see. But again, yes, that was always... always but I, I'd have thought, as I say, the ira of the public when they come in say, but you said these would be back Monday, uh, oh, and so, but yeah. there'd be an hour. I couldn't well, no, but then I was a 16, 17-year-old. I'd go, oh, I'll have to speak to the supervisor. Uh-huh. And then I'd <laughs> run away. They used to, uh, in Southern Park Road boots, they used to hate me walking in. Uh, maybe other reasons for it. But they, uh, I used to take so many pictures. And I'm not joking. I came home from uh, two weeks in Disney World once with 74 rolls of film. <laughs> 74 <laughs> rolls of... Oh, no. And, of course, um, I, they would say, could you walk around for an hour? Because they had to write an individual yes. slip for yes. every one of those. Yes. Every one. And then pop it, in. In, pop it into the little bag with the window in it. The bonus... Go on. No, the bonus of my job was that it was also the music department, so I had to change the charts over on on a Sunday night ready for Monday morning. So no, I would better. get advance notice of the charts. That's better. That's better. That okay. was exciting. Did you ever play the piano on the till, or was it electronic till by then? Oh, it was electronic tills, yeah. No, no, anyway, but we're getting away from it. But perhaps we can't always be dragged into your career as, as, as the artful dodger. Oh, I'd forgotten the other thing was checking someone's £20 note if they thought they were a bit snooty. And how did you... I'm, I'll it? just go and check this. Did you? Just to make them I, a bit I love it when they hold it up to the light. They yeah. don't know what they're looking for. You and you had a pen that you could scribble oh, on it. Pen, yeah. <laughs> All right, here we go. Such uh, powers. Sorry, Big Paul, because this is a belter. Yes. As a, by the way, by the way, uh, the only Saturday job I had, because he says his Molly Coddle didn't need one, I didn't. But, you uh, went straight to work. I was at 14, I was at work. Uh, and we promised we were going to get straight to this email. But um, the only job I had... Because uh, I lived right by, right by the railway arches, and uh, I described earlier on in Mombasa Street, there were all nefarious businesses and various things going on. Uh, and my old man said to me when I was about eight or nine, uh, you want a job? Uh, Saturday morning pictures for an hour. And I said, oh, um, a job? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, one, you, you, you get a couple of quid out of it for your records. Uh, and, and, oh, George, over the fruit arch. And my job, I used to sit on a stall, and George said, now look, these big trays of tangerines and zatzumas and stuff. He said, have a look at them. Now, any of this a bit mouldy, any of this a bit, uh, got, it looks like they're going off in the tray, yeah. See that tissue paper, get a square of the tissue paper and wrap it up in that and put it back. Right? <gasps> I know. And that was my job. Now, it didn't occur it to me. It wide open. And that's why, I don't suggest for a second we're talking about Waitrose here or even Oldie or any of the other supermarkets, but when you see a tray of tangerines, there are only two or three yes. have tissue paper on them. Now, I don't know if 10-year-olds are out there still spotting the mouldy ones. That was my job. Any of you see this, if you're going, going a bit off, put a bit of tissue paper around them and put them back. Now, that, but that's, that was a job, weren't it? Uh, on another show, we'll get round to any, why when you get a box of chocolates, only two or three of them have foil wrappers on. Mm. What's so special about the lime barrel? Why can't it be naked like the others? So, Paul writes... As a molly-coddled teenager, I never had to bother with that paper round or Saturday jobs. That is until my dad got me one over Christmas, working for a neighbour's car upholstery company, £30 for a 50-hour week uh, in a converted 16th-century stable. 
I was told I had to do it. It was a car upholstery arch. We're not talking about a honeysuckle covered structure here that would sit nicely in an Anna Sewell novel. No, it was literally a condemned building with no heating, no running water and no toilet, but somehow managed to sustain quite a successful business. On the second day of my employment, Bob, the owner, announced that a celebrity was bringing his Rolls Royce in for some work. A celebrity? Yes, and that celebrity was Bernie Winters. Oh! Oh, I was well aware of Bernie's impressive catalogue of work, but my colleagues were less than impressed, confusing him with Bernard Manning. Anyway, later that morning, a cream Rolls Royce came a-crunching down the access road and pulled up alongside of me. A big smiley face, the colour of a conker, suddenly appeared through the window and said, Hello, son, I'm Bernie. I answered, All right, Bernie, I'm Paul. I'm a big, big fan which was complete and utter fabrication. But what else could a 16-year-old gangly prog rock fan say to a light entertainment celebrity? Luckily, he seemed not to sense I was frying him up a right old porky. After a brief chat with Bob, Bernie was whisked off to his home, leaving myself and my two colleagues in charge of cleaning his car. One lad went to the nearby river to fill some buckets. Remember, we had no running water. And the other set about cleaning the interior whilst I loitered in the workshop where by the kettle, which I had to repeatedly boil just to get some warmth. <laughs> by the third boil, the lad cleaning the interior appeared, carrying what appeared to be a sizable sheet of dry, wall, dry wallpaper paste that he had just peeled off the rear seats. Do you know what it was? It was congealed Schnorbit's drool. Oh! This obviously confused him, as as far as he was aware, Bernard Manning didn't have a big slobbery dog. When the Bob the Boss returned, he explained he'd told Bernie the job would take a week, when in fact it was a 20-minute work at best. But it meant he had the use of the swanky car for seven days. No! The new boy was given the job of simply gluing back a door seal into place. For 15 minutes, I sat in Bernie's car, playing with the electric windows, fixing the seal, and going through all the hidey holes, looking for something with which I might blackmail him one day. <laughs> Big Paul, this is a great email. Once the seal adhesive had worked its magic, I, I, I slid out of the car, but I didn't get very far. I appeared to be attached to the seat, and so, with both hands on the door frame, yanked myself out, accompanied by the sound of ripping material. Ladies and gentlemen, the screwdriver I had casually placed in my back pocket had pierced Bernie Winter's Rolls Royce's fine Connolly leather with a resultant L-shaped rip left mm. in, the, in the upholstery. A gangly 16-year-old prog rock fan had done it, and attaining full panic mode, I went into it in a split second. I didn't tell anyone, so I decided to glue the piece of wayward seating back into place. I plonked myself in the passenger seat and set about the task. Remarkably, the leather seemed to fit back together perfectly, helped by a pool of adhesive I had placed beneath it. Sadly, my satisfaction turned to terror when I realised I'd put the screwdriver that had caused the damage back in my back pocket and, I promise you, Groundhog Daylight tore a second gash in the leather, this time in the passenger seat. All of my sweat had been used up by this time, but I set about the task of gluing the second back seat back together, and despite the panic, the repair was seamless again. I really had dodged a bullet, it seemed. By the end of the day, I returned home in the rolls with Bob, who congratulated me on a job well done. His only complaint was that the smell of adhesive in the car was slightly overpowering. Little did he know, he was sitting on a sizable portion of it. Seven days later, Bernie Winters appeared at the workshop to pick up his car, polished, cleaned of all dog juices, but still smelling a little of solvent. But he was chuffed with the work. I was a little surprised when he re remembered my name. He called me over and gave me a crisp £5 note, ignoring my two colleagues who had done all the heavy lifting in the job. I I, perhaps crime does pay, and I subsequently recounted the meeting with Bernie Winters to a girlfriend, but she was having none of it. Me meeting Bernie Winters, why the idea was preposterous. However, a few months later, I was crossing the road in Barnet. We approached the zebra crossing and a cream Rolls Royce pulled up to let us across. As we ambled over, a little beep crept out of the car horn. We looked around as the window rolled down and a big, shiny face, the colour of a conker, appeared. It was Bernie, and he even remembered my name again. 
Wow. We exchanged niceties and went our separate ways. Ways. Bernie in his cream roll with the secretly patched up seats, and me with my eyebrows satisfyingly raised like that of a man who had just been name checked by Jeffrey Hammond Hammond at a Jethro Toll game. <laughs> I've told this story a few times over the years to little or no interest. But now, 42 years later, I've been able to share this story again with a salon that will surely appreciate its social importance. My work now is done. Big Paul. Oh, Big Paul. What a tale. What a tale. Bravo. Now, normally, we don't encourage that kind of uh, highways and byways length on a tale, but every, every oh. single syllable, we had to be jealously watched. What a great story. Yeah, it's a ruining of the carbon. The second time he does it, I actually thought, oh no. <laughs> oh no. He did it not once, but twice. Uh, anything uh, very quick to finish with there, Pep? Oh, I'm not sure I can follow that, but well, I work. This, no, is, this is one that. I threw it at you. <laughs> yes, thanks. Of course, Sean has to follow this. Oh, it's a, a question a while back of someone with your name. Oh, okay. When I was approaching my teenage years, I had a go at the old pastime of a message in a bottle. I wrote my name and address on a scrap of paper and chucked it in the sea at Hearn Bay. Mm. One day, a strange letter with a Dutch stamp and postmark plopped onto the door that addressed me. It was a reply to my seafaring message. It explained that the bottle had pitched up in the Netherlands and it gave me a few details about the life where my new pen pal lived. When I got to the end of the letter, I noticed with surprise it was signed by Johan Koch which is the Dutch translation of my name, no. Sean Cook. Slightly roundabout, Sean being the Irish form of John. I never no. met him, nor his brilliantly named brother, Wilco Cock. Wilco but Cock. Oh. OK, but I do find it peculiar. There's a very famous uh, uh, Dutch singer called Wilhelm uh, Palm de Cock. His name's Palm de Cock. But uh, uh, that is the third Dutch story of this extravaganza. The third Dutch story. And I think that's plenty of Dutch stories. Uh, normally, at the end of the uh, this Saturday show, the klaxon goes and next week's subjects are announced. Now, we are so far behind with all your emails and they are all belters, you know. Uh, even Keithy Baby has had to take his place in the queue. So <laughs> what we're going to do on uh, the next show is bring you up to date with all the others. Uh, Clear the decks. So that's what we'll do next time. There will be no new subjects. Unless you want to get in touch about anything, don't stop. Look back over the subjects, but... Uh, We've got to clear some of this backlog because every single one of them are our children. So, Phil, if you want to play the theme tune. One, two, three, four. Climb up, go in, let's cozy down. Wave goodbye to that silly frown as we chase our cares away. In the treehouse. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied. We laugh the day away in the tree. Take it away, Daddy! Always do the great Wisby. Uh, thank you, of course, to uh, uh, Johan van der Palm de Kock, no, <laughs> uh, Louise Napoleon Pepper, Phil Wilding, who shoves this show together as soon as we, we leave the stage. Everyone over there at something else for giving us the platform. But as you can hear via Big Paul, it's always chiefly yourselves. I'll see you in midweek. 